Hello and welcome back to Match Day Matinee, the show where we endlessly rank and review cinematic takes of the beautiful game. I am your host for today, and as always, I am joined by Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Adam, I'm going to break the fourth wall here to begin with and say we're recording this on the day that Portugal has just escaped the group of death. So yeah. I'm exhausted from this near group of death experience that we had today. And it was wow, it was pretty intense. <laughs> I had a vested interest in it too because of England playing whoever finished second in that group. Yeah, and it changed like four times. At one point we were playing Hungary, which was like that's like the best possible thing. Yeah. And then it flipped to Germany when they equalized. Um, and that's how it ended, kind of. England are playing Germany, which is pretty nuts. Okay, well, literally, I think Portugal, at some point during the match, was in every position. Yeah. Yes, I did see that, yeah. Okay. So I guess you took the lead against France? Uh, did we? Yeah. Yeah, we did, because we had the first um, penalty. Oh, okay, yeah. So you we had the first that's penalty, that's so at one point we were on the table. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who do you have in the last 16 now? I forget. Um, Belgium. Ooh, that's a good Sunday. Belgium hasn't been living up to their potential, right? I think no. they struggled against um, smaller country. I can't remember which one. Like Slovakia or something, maybe? I forget what group. It's been so hard to remember. It's too much football, isn't that? Yeah, well, yeah. We're a couple of days off now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, pretty good. It's the business end of the Euros now, the knockouts, it's always exciting. Um, but anyway, to move on from that, it is what are you wearing and it's both kind of related to England and Portugal that we just mentioned so I'm wearing England's uh, current new blue away shirt um, which they wore uh, in the first game against Croatia where they won 1-0 and they've been playing wearing white ever since and Mark I noticed you're wearing a Portugal shirt but I'm not exactly sure what era it is it is the 2004 home shirt. So like it would have been around Deco the time they were. Stuff? Uh, Deco, Manish, uh, Figu, like um, Ronaldo was just starting. So actually in this kit, this is one of the things I regret with this kit when I got it was not getting the numbers put on it. Because back then they had the uh, the circle with the the Nike numbers inside that kind of had the mm. like the stipple on them. Um, and Ronaldo was 17 back then. I did get an, his numbers on the away kit from this year but I got him at like some dodgy um, like mom and pop jersey place and they just oh, used yeah. some random numbers right they had him back yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I ruined that ruined that shirts Twitter account always has people yeah. that do that like you'll have like Real Madrid but with like Premier League numbers on the back and it's like oh yeah, yeah love that. that's a nice kit though that's it's almost looks like the score retro ones right like it's got the and it's not that's the official one yeah, yeah, this is their actual away kit, which is more, I guess, more style yeah, to look yeah. retro. Like, it's uh, got a collar, and it's got, like, the design. So we did have a blue kit a little know. bit like this in yeah. the Italia 90. We had a blue kit a little bit like this. It looks like it's a little bit punched up on that yep. one as well. Yeah, right? yeah, it's punched out, yeah. Yeah, yeah nice. that's cool. That's pretty Beautiful. nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so without further ado, are you ready to dive into this week's movie? Not at all. <laughs> it is related to the Euros. In the build up to England's campaign, I found a movie about the Euros. It is called My Summer with Des. Uh, My Summer with Des is a British uh, rom com set during the summer that football came home, Euro 96. It was originally broadcast on May 25th, 1998, to coincide with the start of World Cup 98. It was released on video on May 26th, and a DVD release was planned for August. 
2008, but was subsequently cancelled. It has no Rotten Tomato listing and only one critic review on IMDb, which didn't give it a rating. And then uh, it doesn't actually have enough reviews to have a user rating either. So I had to add up the ones that gave it a score and did the maths myself. It has an average rating of 6.75. Um, so before we dive into the full plot synopsis, I do want to touch on how hard this film was to find. Like, I saw this film and I was like, right, Euro 96, football's coming home, we're doing this. Um, so the VHS has long since been out of print and routinely goes for like hundreds of dollars on eBay, which is insane. Oof. Insane. There's no version on DVD, as I mentioned. The release got cancelled. There are versions on YouTube, but as we'll get into, there's a hell of a lot of archive footage in this. So UEFA routinely copyright strikes any copies end up on YouTube. So the only versions that are on YouTube missing all of the football footage, which kind of renders the film pointless. It would be a little bit shorter though. Um, so I went on to, I ended up going to Reddit, found a subreddit for people that can request uh, TV shows, and kind of said. I know this is a bloody long shot, but does anybody have a copy of this movie? A guy kindly replied, uploaded it somewhere on the internet for me, and then I downloaded it, and lo and behold, it worked. Uh, He had it because he was obsessed with Rachel Wise, one of the actresses. Um, And then after that, I had a couple of messages off a guy who was like, hey, did you ever get that copy of that film? Because we've got a whole WhatsApp group waiting desperately to watch this movie. Uh, so they are called the High Ken Roy Evans WhatsApp group. So shout out to them. They got a copy as well because they all wanted to watch it ready for the Euros. So yeah, definitely the first adventure we've had trying to get hold of a copy of a um, movie that if it wasn't for all the archive footage would be up on YouTube because it doesn't seem like they care. They've obviously yeah, abandoned the rights long ago. It's made by a Carlton TV, which I don't know if they still exist, but they're kind of like a subsidiary of one of the of ITV, one of the TV networks in England. Um, just a production company. So they've obviously long since stopped caring. Yeah, I was going to say, you might have incriminated yourself. Like, I'm sure they don't care about the video, but this is very loosely they they very loosely formed a narrative narrative around the actual matches themselves so i'm sure uefa might be cracking down on you oh, well, <laughs> they i didn't name the reddit they can try and find the private whatsapp group and nail those guys bring them all down anyway should we get into the plot synopsis um is there a plot in this movie i will say this is a long plot, but more like loose, just things that happen. If listeners manage to keep up, good for them. And when we get to the end of the plot point, I have a question for you because there's a major plot device in this film that I just do not understand. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you would explain it to me. <laughs> okay. So we meet Martin, played by Neil Morrissey, who, depending on your age, you will either recognize as Bumbling Tony from Men Behaving Badly or the voice of Bob the Builder. As he sits in Paris recounting the beautiful summer of 96, Q3 Lions playing for the first of about 20 times whilst the French waiter does his best halftime show tricks. We rewind to 1996 where Martin is being asked by his boss to prove he wants the job and instead he imagines Des Lynham introducing the final of Euro 96, dying in 
Scotland. He walks out and quits his job to a racist blaring, football street fans in the streets, and another cut to Des Lynham, who we're told will be spending a summer with, and instead we learn we all spent the summer with him via the TV. Shortly after this, we meet Rachel Wise's character, Rosie, who apparently is sometimes a tra- time-travelling woman who loves football and Martin, but also apparently slept with Eric Cantona and Jarvis Cocker just because. Uh, Martin gets drunk, sings in the street, and on the next day wakes up hungover and cooks some bacon. At this point, I realised he was just playing a sanitised version of his men behaving badly character mixed with like a typical football lad. Uh, Rosie takes an interest in him. They go on a weird date that involves not talking and making animal noises. We see him fill out a Euro 96 wheelchair and we see him embracing watching six games in two and a half days, which we all do when it's Euros. Uh, England and Scotland meet. Martin kisses Rosie after Gaza's goal goes in. His friend sees him on TV. They then go into some kind of police portal cabin to have sex and get caught whilst chanting Jimmy Hill. Uh, police officer doesn't seem bothered and just makes some random quip. They then go home, have their fun whilst chanting Jimmy Hill again, bizarrely. Uh, Jimmy Hill describes Gaza asking about, uh, saying what a performance it was and where did that come from, from someone so old. I think that was an attempt at a joke. Martin finally gets sacked. England beat Holland 4-1 and then Spain 0-0 on penalties. Now a house party. Martin has a house party to celebrate set to All Right by Supergrass, which is a really good song. Uh, Rosie has been a bit of an enigma up to this point in the movie. He refuses to answer any questions. um, And then he says... Wait, I have one question. I can't think. We could wait. Will you do me a favor? She asks him if that's the question. And then he says, will you take me to the semi-final right now? And this is where there's been hints all the way through the movie that she can somehow see the future. But here we kind of learn that she can actually just travel through time. And as if by magic, they're at the semi-final. Well, they they didn't write that part of the script. So instead of just trying to fill that plot, uh, they yep. just said, let's, let's just skip ahead to the match. Everyone wants to see it. We're at... 83 minutes of runtime let's just skip that was my question at the end uh so rosie knows the result as she knows everything (laughs) and she wants to soak everything up this bit genuine shivers down my spine this game is incredible loved any minute of it shearer's early goals three minutes cunts equalizing 16 minutes anderson hitting the post a germany goal that got ruled out that gaza miss uh martin comes to the realization at this point that he regrets nothing about what's happened. This has been the best 19 days of his life, and he doesn't mean Euro 96. He means that he's actually started to like himself. She tells him that he knows what he has to do, and she reveals to him the result of the final and the first goal scorer. We then see Gareth Southgate famously step up and miss, and it's absolutely horrible. It's the second penalty lost for England in six years at a major tournament. Martin goes after Rosie, but he can't find her and ends up in a pub. Comes to the realisation that he has to put a bet on the final. He has a drink with David Seaman, bizarrely, who's drowning his sorrows in the same pub. Uh, It turns out, ultimately, the bets saved him, and he's in France now, covering World Cup 98 as a reporter. Um, she's left him a letter, which is a bit of a like Back to the Future Western Union moment at the end of Back to the Future 2 when Doc's left Marty a letter saying when he gets struck by lightning. And she's still somehow around. And the movie ends with Beethoven's Ode to Joy, which was the BBC Euro 96 song, as Rosie gets in a taxi. And lo and behold, in the taxi is Des Lynham sat with her. So, Mark, when exactly was it revealed that she was a time traveler? It never was. Um, And I want to say, Adam, why did you make me watch this movie? It was terrible. We have a massive list of football movies that we could have watched. 
and yet we uh, we went for Summer of Death. In my defense, okay, Euro '96 was the greatest Euros to me ever. Um, it's the year football came home. It's my first ever. I've talked about it before. I watched Italia '90 allegedly with my dad. I don't remember it. I didn't watch World Cup '94 because England didn't qualify. Euro '96, I was 12. Everyone in school was super into it. So I thought this movie would be a good chance to reminisce. And I think it thinks it did a good job of it. And you've never seen this movie. This was your first time watching it. This was my first time seeing it. Of course, like I've seen all of this footage time to time, like a lot of some of the Des Lynam quotes, that's what's weird. Some of the Des Lynam quotes were put in for, made for this movie clearly. But others, I remember them saying, I remember him saying them like the game before the Germany game. He's like, good evening. There's some football on just in case you didn't know or something like that. Like everyone (laughs) recognizes that clip. Um, but otherwise, uh, this movie was terrible. <laughs> like, so it was bad. It was it, it's an objectively bad movie, and I say that knowing that there's a, a massive, uh, not a massive, a seven minute deep dive on YouTube where the guy praises <laughs> right. this movie. So I have no idea. The maybe he put himself in Neil Morrissey's shoes and he enjoyed it, but nothing about this movie works for me. Um, and I think even does a bad job of using the highlights they have. Like, they have a lot of highlights that they use throughout the film. They do a terrible job of, like, presenting them properly. Like, you see... You don't even see moments in order. And maybe that's something to do with the time travelling. But, like, they're showing you clips from the Germany game at the very beginning and stuff and all that crap. And then there's a couple of terrible, like, sex scenes where he's imagining having sex and he's intercutting it with goals going in. And it's like such a 90s lads view of football yeah um, yeah like yeah it's a, it's a football wanker's wet dream right yes. like i think i described yes. to you but who is this movie for then like okay so a regular family movie in europe it, does there that much nudity in it or not even the nudity like the sex wow. scenes it would yeah. cut to a, a woman randomly moaning and then at one point like you, you mentioned in your plot description but he hides away into a police box with rosie yeah and then she's laughing about something. He's like, oh, are you laughing at me? And she's like, no, I just love to come. And it's like, that's not even a good line on its own, but in a family movie yeah. or whatever this is meant to be, I just, I don't get it. And like, that would be a bad line in like something that's trying to be like an American pie or something. Like, there's yeah. just no context to it because she definitely didn't in that time because they got caught by the police officer super fast. No. Like they were just getting onto things. And I, it's just... So she's part of his imagination, obviously, right? Like, even when she first shows up, they're talking about uh, Eric Cantona, and she says, I've had sex with him. And then somebody else, I can't remember the name. Travis Cocker, yeah, the lead singer of uh, Pulp. Oh, Pulp, really? Okay, I like Pulp. Um, And then throughout the movie, there's things that she would only know if she was... um, Him. Him, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make much sense. But then... I don't like you. Go for it. But then the other... But then how does he predict the score? Like, did he just predict the score to win all that money? Yeah, that's a good point. Because at one point she's saying, I shouldn't tell you this, but Gaz is about to score a breathtaking goal now. Yeah, and that happens. Like, That's the other thing. So it's not so much she can travel through time until towards the end. The point is that she can read the... She's like clairvoyant or psychic. Yeah. And then suddenly 
this the they have that house party and he asks her the question and he's like I just want to go straight to the semi final and she's like okay and then next thing you know they're walking up Wembley Way to the yeah. like did he actually have a rager of a party and then just wake up the, like three days later and he's like right semi final it is okay so that ties in with the theory I just thought of, which is he starts this movie as a narrator and he's reminiscing about it as he's sitting on the the banks of the Seine River in, in Paris. And now that he's a football writer and he has a David Seaman mustache, <laughs> is this his drunken recollection of how things were back then? So he was, he quits his job and then for 19 days, he's just binge drinking and enjoying football, which fair to him. Um, Maybe. And then he's looking back on it and he's misremembering how everything was. Mate, oh, you know what? Maybe that is it. Because you do that, don't you? Even look back when you were a kid, you remember like summer was always sunny. Every day was like the hottest yeah. day ever. It was incredible. And it's like summer's not like that. It rains half the time. Yeah. It's still hot. It's, maybe it's right, maybe that is yeah. it. Like and even think about if you reminisce about like nights out you had and stuff, you think, oh, it was the greatest of times. There were plenty of nights where it was probably shit and it wasn't yeah, worth yeah. the money or the effort to go oh. out. But yeah, maybe an entire summer of just boozing has made him idealize what was an awesome summer anyway for... Uh, but people often talk about that tournaments, don't they? They get bigged up in your mind and then actually you go back and look at it and the football was yeah. terrible sometimes. And um, yeah, like one of my favorite tournaments was it's 2006 and I think we talked about this where it's more about the people you're with and you enjoy it with right mm -hmm. um, and I think that was did we mention that before where Des was saying that uh, oh man so you know, I'm oh it's Jimmy Hill the, the woman thing when yes. the women get involved yeah 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 when the women get involved, yeah. So yeah. was that in the movie or was that a quote that you pulled up? No, that was in that. At some point it cuts to the audience and Jimmy Hill's talking about how you know football's important when the housewives start to get involved right. with the girlfriends. Yeah, that is in the movie, yeah. And it's right. true, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's what we were talking about. So that was my favorite tournament just because uh, Portugal made it so far into that tournament. I think they made it to the semifinals that year. Um, Italy actually made it to the finals, obviously, 2006, and won it. And I was dating my wife at that time. So she was involved in the whole thing with me. Uh, we went down to, to Woodbridge. We did the whole driving around with the flag outside of the car. Nice. Um, <laughs> looking back, 2006 was actually an amazing tournament. Um, it was a lot of fun watching Portugal that year just because they had such an exciting attacking team. But uh, that made it even better, right? Uh -huh. Just that shared experience around it and that was kind of like the last hurrah before finding a full-time job and you <laughs> right, know by the yeah. time Euro 2008 rolled around I was working full-time so you couldn't really enjoy it yeah um, and unless you're going to quit your job like Neil like Morrissey did, did and, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I just nothing about this film <laughs> was good outside of the archive footage and even that wasn't well presented at times because they jumped the gun and like showed like they showed Southgate's penalty, like the run up to that. They showed Gaza's goal numerous times. So it wasn't special when you got to see those moments in the context of film. So they even butchered that in some respect. Um, do you have a lot else to say? There's genuinely not a lot else to say about this film. It's not funny. I don't even think it's funny by the standards of that era like there's yeah. there's way better british like family comedies i mentioned in my description like he's playing like a sanitized version of a character he played in another show that show is way funnier than this was 
Um, there's better adult comedies of this era that were out there as well. So it's neither here nor there of everything, but yeah. it reminds you of a great time. But I would rather just go and watch a, the goals of the tournament video on UEFA's YouTube channel, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, exactly. And they've, they've done better jobs of, of putting out these uh, tournament tournament highlight reels and recaps and reviews, right? Like they have an amazing one of USA 94 and the Euros as well. And it's almost like BBC got the footage of that and they just kind of built a narrative around it and it doesn't work at all. And it's so poorly done where there's all these random jump cuts and the editor on this movie, I hope he never worked again. I, it's a terrible thing to say, but I hope he I'd have to look it. up. I don't know. Okay. To be honest. It did, so the director of this was the same as An Evening with Gary Lineker or was it just kind of... Uh, the writer was related? the same. I'm not sure about the okay. director. So they're both written by Arthur Smith, who's traditionally was a stage writer. Right. Um, and then went on to write those two movies for sure. Euro 96. The reason you want to watch this movie was because of that one particular tournament. What yeah. was it that stands out in your mind as the, the 13, 14 year old Adam, I'm guessing at that point? Uh, 12. 12? 12, okay, yeah. it's fairly close. Uh, yeah. Um, Paul Smith were terrible around this time. Very famous for being, and then the subsequent years after this, way worse, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later. So England was my only opportunity to support, like, actually good players. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think, like, in this era, Portsmouth finished in the bottom half of what's now the championship, like, eight times out of ten seasons or something. It was <laughs> abysmal. And we were knit, we'd scraped away, avoided relegation last day, so many seasons, we were terrible. So this was my opportunity to support great players that I that were my own and feel a sense of identity yeah. with it and then I think I've, I've probably talk, I talk about on social media all the time how that Gaza goal it's one of my most favourite goals of all time the everything that led up to it so there's the first goal absolutely brilliant uh, playing across the back and then fullbacks pushing up and a cross goes into Shearer sure, yeah. and then Scotland get a penalty David Seaman saves the penalty. I think it's from the subsequent corner. They have a counter-attack. Darren Anderson, former Pompey boy, loops the ball up to Gaza. And he just flicks it over Colin Hendry's head. And it's just sublime. Like the, I can remember that bizarrely. I don't know how we ended up watching it or we did. We watched it in a fishing tackle shop with one of my dad's friends who owned <laughs> that shop. And like that guy was like effing and blinding, like was so happy, apologizing to my dad for swearing in front of me and my brother. And he was like, oh no, it's good. It's good, swear away. That was incredible and stuff <laughs> like, and just from that moment, it was amazing. And then like, we beat Holland 4-1 afterwards, which was in, I mean, some of that was a result of their own like infighting that they allegedly had, but it was still an incredible performance. And then having all that momentum getting all the way to the semi-final, it's slowly building up and just, real sense of like optimism that England hadn't had until then it was really bizarre um, only to lose it on uh, penalties too Germany yeah. Germany which yeah penalties in England yeah. iconic duel yeah like what is it it wasn't that Spain shootout was the first ever time we'd won a penalty shootout and then we didn't win one again until we beat Colombia in the last World Cup when was the Spain one? Was that that was in the Euros? We when we drew nil nil in the quarter final, we beat them on penalties. You're in ninety six. Ninety six, yeah. Okay. I don't think we won another shootout. Lost some to Portugal. We lost one to Italy. Yeah. Well, Portugal uh, lost in uh, two thousand four, I believe it was. Yeah. And that was an amazing one too. That, that entire match actually was really exciting. Yeah. Sorry. 
That's Sorry, <laughs> Same with the, uh, and then we've 98 um, with Argentina. Like, so many. Yes. That 2004 Euro match, I, I loved it just because um, we had an amazing team then. I think we've talked about it. Just it was one of those tournaments where, like, I was 16 at the time. So I could have, actually, I was about, uh, I would have been 21, uh, working part time, and I would have been able to just kind of yeah, go out same. and enjoy every minute of it, right? Go downtown Toronto, hang out on college with my uh, then girlfriend, watch every match, walk up and down the streets with the flag. Uh, but that particular match, England, I remember, was so exciting and it went to penalties. Uh, Ricardo was all hyped up. He was our keeper and he was like oh, such an exciting yeah. character. At one point, he took off his gloves. I don't know if you remember yes, that. Yes, to, take, he, he he made, to take his penalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, even before that, he took off his gloves to save a shot against, um, I think it was like Sol Campbell. Oh, okay, yep. And then, uh, and then he ended up scoring himself. And I think that was the, the winning shot. Yeah. So that was um, the winning shot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite tournaments. Even like Euro 2004, right? Everything around that was almost like football's coming home to Portugal. Yeah. But we had like our version of that was uh, Nella Furtado Forza. Okay. Uh, which was cool because she was a Canadian, uh, Portuguese Canadian, right? Like, much like myself. Um, she came from the same small island that my parents are from. So there was kind of that connection there. And then only to lose it to to Greece in the finals. So that entire tournament was kind of special, but I'm sure like nothing compared to Euro '96, right? Mm. You being there, and were you able to go to any matches? No, no. We'll watch that home and stuff. Yeah. Was there any like? I don't. Did they have it back then where they would have like fan zones and stuff like that? I where it was kind don't of. Remember that it would just mostly was pubs and stuff, right? They may yeah. have had them, but I don't remember. Uh, and I think that's probably more of a recent thing where they yeah. kind of try to squeeze every like the, sponsorship dollar out of it they can. Was it the World Cup in Germany was one of the first ones where that was a big, huge thing, was like these dedicated fan zones that were huge. Mm. I don't know if they coined it, but... It, it makes sense, like... 2006. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess... They were, yeah, yeah, it was, actually. It was the first one, right? They were the first one, first one to accommodate people planning to visit the World Cup. The experience of public viewing and in other places and partaking cultural events was incorporated. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. Like I'm sure those things were happening beforehand, but now that FIFA and UEFA can kind of present a sanitized yeah. version of that, they'll take um, the money, won't they? They'll take it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Gaza's goal. Explain Gaza to me as as someone who didn't grow up watching. He's such a mysterious character to me, I guess. Like you were saying, wonderful striker. Um, he looks like a hard man, but he's not. He's not a, yeah. he's not like. like everyone's not seen a, the Italian night where he was crying when he got booked right. and would have missed the final if England had made it. Exactly. Uh, and now that he's retired, you see him parting it up on cruise boats. Um, yeah. Italian big brother, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. They're in a nutshell. He was like a tortured genius, I guess. He. Okay. Um, so he saw a childhood friend get run over by a car when he was pretty young and then ever since then he's had this and it's, he mentions it in his autobiography quite a bit he's had like a genuine like almost existential death a fear of and dread of dying so he almost became an alcoholic to block out the worries and concerns about that so there's two yeah. sides of him there's the football side when he's enjoying football and that's how he can forget and he's got like crowds adoring him and he could do it. There's the drinking and then there's kind of all the pranks and stuff and just being daft that also helped him like see a lighter side to life. Yeah. And like 
He was a good player, but he had quite a few injuries. Like when he was with Tottenham, he broke his leg doing a bad tackle on somebody. I forget who it was. A few injury problems when he was at Lazio. And it's all because he treated his body like utter crap. But then he had moments like that goal against Scotland. He had a few other moments in an England shirt. Um, And not always like attacking moments. Sometimes he was asked to um, play like a defensive midfielder and did that job quite well as well. Um, He's got a lot of famous goals for Spurs as well and Rangers as well. Lots of silly celebrations and stuff. But yeah, he just... He wouldn't exist as a pro today. Like he, his, he treated his body like crap. Had some substance abuse issues at points in his life. Uh, yeah, like you're saying, he was. Well, I remember with the whole like dentist chair incident. Yeah, he was kind of the scapegoat for it, right? Because there were other players that kind of were yeah, involved like they were all photographed there, and yeah, that was he was on the cover thing. of this time, wasn't it? He was. I think it was his birthday or something, or one of their birthdays. Yeah. But even that was there was accusations of being a stitch up, like somebody tipped off the papers that they were there and then they were all flooded to take pictures. Gazza trashed a plane on the way back because the air hostess wouldn't give him a Budweiser. Um again he says like he just wanted it to like take the edge off flying, basically. But she wouldn't give yeah. it to him because I think he was already drunk. Um so then he trashed a plane and like that made headlines. So yeah. He was definitely an enigma. He tried to get into management and kind of couldn't. He's had a few weird outbursts that have happened since he uh, retired. Like there was a guy, I can't remember what his name was. It was like Raoul Moat or something. Who basically, he was running around somewhere in Scotland with a rifle, threatening to kill people. I don't think he actually killed anybody. But then bizarrely, Gaza knew this guy and like tweeted, don't worry, I'm coming to save you, mate. And then oh, allegedly was like, driving to Scotland to try and get to him to it's like to what end you crazy man but so yeah it's, it's almost, a real shame yeah that that's like his entire story is almost something you'd want to see made into a movie for sure his like his Definitely. autobiography is really good um, there's a few different versions of it like he's revised it a few times yeah um, but yeah so a genuine maverick and it's good that people do remember him for the good things but then he does crop up in the papers every so often like drunk and he's one of those people that doesn't never has to buy a drink anywhere so to like people enable him which is unfortunate yeah it's like yeah. not a good thing he has a lot of really famous friends uh chris evans and danny baker are two like 90s tv personalities that he used to go out drinking a lot with and there's tons of pictures back in the day of them like outrageously dressed in ridiculously expensive suits and stuff and <laughs> yeah well, even some of the outfits, well, that that would be like a good Twitter thread for us to create, like all the crazy outfits that uh, yeah. Gaz has seen, um, seen him as of late. The National Football Museum in Manchester actually had, at one point, the fashion of football. And not only yeah. did it have kits and stuff, but it also had like, here's a terrible suit that this person wore here. Here's like, this the famous white suits that Liverpool wore for the cup final once when everyone called them the Spice yeah. Boys. Like, I think fun. I recently saw they had um, Garrett Southgate's uh, waistcoat. Oh, but yeah. That, that yes. might have been more recent, yeah. But yeah. Um, Interesting. You've asked me a lot of questions about like Euro 96 and stuff. What's like, do you have any particular like Euros memories other than the ones you shared like with your wife and stuff? And Yeah, Euro 2004 was definitely special just because of all the things that I've mentioned. Um, but I think after that, like not a lot happened. 2008, we were in kind of like a transition with Ronaldo being the only big star there, the old generation gone. But 2016, um, one of my friends called me up randomly out of the blue and says, hey, one of my friends, so a friend of a friend had a ticket 
to one of the Portugal matches uh, that was going to happen in France. Uh, would you like to come? Somebody dropped out. So suddenly I had this like opportunity dropped into my lap. Uh, I look over at my wife. I, yeah, that was the thing, right? I look over at my wife and I was like, Jesse just invited me to to go to the Euros, right? Which is kind of like a surreal sentence to, to kind of tell your wife. Um she said, if you want to go for it, go for it, right? So at the time I had a three-year-old daughter, which was kind of tough to like leave her behind and go for a week. Um, but it was an amazing experience. I mean, to actually go to a tournament and mm-hmm. like you're saying, there's so much going on, right? There are the official fan zones, but aside from that, you can walk anywhere in the city and there's just people celebrating. Everyone yeah. is there for the same reason, right? Yeah. Just for this, this one tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see why, why countries want to bring these that, tournaments so, like yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's, it's just so much, um, there's so many benefits for tourism where every restaurant is packed, right? And it's not just that it's packed with people who are normally there. It was so much fun to be there and just see like England fans, right? Like my buddy and I were having such a laugh with the England fans, like, don't take me home. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Train after the match at like midnight, right? These guys are still chanting and one of them is just like, you hear one of his buddies finally behind us, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Just... Just shut the fuck up, right? I actually think uh, it was, wait, I think it might have been before Euro 2016. I went to watch England play in a preseason friendly in England, yeah. and I went down into the concourse, like, I needed to go for a piss, like, halfway through the second half, and there's just people down there chanting that please don't take me yeah. home song and just drinking. It's like, guys, the game's going on. It's like, yeah. you fucking dickheads. Like, what are you, <laughs> people up on their shoulders, just jumping up and down yeah. and stuff, singing that song, and it's like, yeah. we're, it's not even started yet, and you're already this hyped, it's ridiculous. It's- it's amazing, right? And just because there's so many different fans from different countries. And I remember leading up to it, um, it was taking place in France and there was a terrorist attack the year before. Yeah. Um, and then you saw before you were heading out there, I think transit was about to go on strike. And then on top of that, I think there was the English fans and Russian fans were fighting with each other mm-hmm. where you just saw massive brawls, right? So I'm, I'm terrified in my mind jumping on a plane to go into the middle of it. But once you were there, it was just an amazing experience of like English fans. And then our game was against um, Iceland. And the Icelandic fans just welcoming everybody, right? And they're giants, just like these giant yeah. blonde like <laughs> Norsemen, right? Um, just so friendly, everyone hanging out together, partying. One of my friends actually lost his ticket and uh, random Iceland fans saw him looking around on the floor for it. So he stopped him and asked him, oh, you need a ticket? Pulls the ticket out of his pocket. We all go into the match together. Um, the actual match itself was like a 1-1 draw, so it's kind of like inconsequential, but just everything around that, like I'll, I'll always remember. And I'm looking forward to the World Cup being here in Canada because you can kind of get that experience without having to fly there. Yeah. But it, it's not going to be the same. Like there's no way it's going to be the same. No. Yeah. It's it's just completely different culture. But yeah, that's my Euro. Probably my favorite Euro memory is actually just going to one, enjoying it and immersing myself in like that culture. Awesome. Okay, we kind of derailed a little bit talking about uh, Euro stuff, which I think is kind of a testament to our feelings about yeah. this movie. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else you want to say about this movie in particular? Um, not at all. It's a bad movie. <laughs> Nothing. None of it makes sense. Um, yeah, poorly done. Just an excuse to use existing footage. They had to film an additional like twenty minutes, I guess, to turn this into a TV movie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of been lost to the internet. I, I don't know how you dug it up. I know you use Reddit or yeah, some other yeah. like various means, but. It should, it's one of those buried, not even, it's not a buried treasure. It's just, it's lost to the wind and yeah, it should stay there. No one I would remembered. Say. No one cares. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, should we crack on then and talk about some number ones at the time? Um, so I did something a little bit different this time. I looked at video games, and it just happened. Uh, International Superstar Soccer 64 came out. Uh, I think it was either the week before or the week after this release. Uh, pretty good game. It had a 91% average on Metacritic. Uh, we played the crap out of this game. I had a friend who had it, and then we got an N64. Um, just way better than FIFA at the time, I remember. Just yeah. being... It was way faster, Um Certainly on the N64, at least. There wasn't anything else like it on the N64 at the time that I could think of, because it was pretty much only FIFA and ISS. Uh, yeah. There was some other yeah. game. There was like a Mia Ham soccer game, but that was later on. Uh, but yeah, really good. Uh, super memorable things. Like it had super smooth gameplay and just really funny. Because um, we they've got really good at how they contextualize commentary in football games now, so it <laughs> seems all smooth, but this didn't. Yeah. So they only recorded like a couple of ways of them saying like a country's name. So they'd be like, Croatia, have a throw in. <laughs> and it just be like, oh, okay, that was a bit. And yeah, but really good game. Uh, did you play yeah. it? No, so I was a Nintendo guy too, like growing up. So I had uh, FIFA 99, which is probably the, well, I guess ISS would have been available here, but it was seen as like an off-brand soccer game, to be honest. So you would play FIFA and that was terrible back in 99. Like each guy was made up of like four polygons and it felt like mush to control. Yeah, they were, um, I always remember the FIFA games feeling terrible. Like you'd press sprint and it would just garbage. be so laggy and terrible. Yeah, and then even the ball control, like you would pass to somebody and the ball would be like on a magnet towards them. Yeah. Um, but I got an emulator recently and I tried um, ISS just randomly. It's amazing. Like it still holds up to this day. You could play it and, so and actually good. still enjoy it. So yeah. And that's what eventually became Pez, right? Yeah. So it became, for a while they called it Pro Evo, and right. then it became Pez shortly after that as well. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and top of the box office at the time was uh, Godzilla, which is a rotten film. It's rated 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it did make $398 million against a $150 million budget. But it was kind of a big deal at the time because it was bringing the Godzilla yeah. movies to the West. But then until relatively recently, it basically killed off the franchise, right? Um, yeah. It's funny. So you said it made $300 million, but $150 million to make. I'm guessing they still lost money because around Godzilla, you were living in England at that time, right? Yeah. And I don't know if it was the same. Um, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about Godzilla. Like the little yeah, talk about so Chihuahua. Big. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Chihuahua was getting chased by Godzilla. Um, Godzilla TV show, like a cartoon and just uh, Puff Daddy made a song about Godzilla. Um, I don't know that. Okay, sure. With a uh, famous guitarist. I can't remember who it was. But yeah, you couldn't do anything without hearing about Godzilla. So I'm sure the amount of money that they put into promoting yeah, it. Yeah, like marketing budget and stuff took it yeah. way too. Maybe it made a profit, but nowhere near as much as movie studios want to make. Yeah, no, I'm sure they lost money on that one. But yeah, the new ones are pretty decent. I've seen King of the Monsters, and that was enjoyable. Okay. I haven't seen Godzilla versus Kong. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, I've only seen the first one, uh, just Godzilla with Brian Cranston. That's the only one of them I've seen. Which was not great. But. So Yeah, it's so-so. It's, again, the yeah. same thing as a lot of these films fall into, just concentrating on their humans way too much. Yeah. yeah. King of Monsters is better. It's much more like uh, Pacific Rim, where it's just like the kaiju fighting oh, each other right. for, okay. for a couple hours. Okay. So, yeah, so that's Godzilla. Um, some more number ones next time. 
Uh, so now football at the time. So this film actually came out in the run-up to World Cup 98. Um, so World Cup 98 was a tournament that saw France crowned world champions, beating Brazil 3-0 in the final. England went out in the last 16 in an all-time classic against Argentina. Again, going out controversially somewhat. Went out on penalties, but had a Sol Campbell header disallowed for an apparent elbow, but I never saw it. And uh, I had to look up Brazil. Uh, sorry, I had to look up Portugal, sorry, because I they didn't I didn't remember them being in it. And they were kind of in the midst of a dry spin, of a dry spell, having not qualified in the World Cup for like three years in a row. It's one of those things. You never... Uh, current Portugal are always uh, contenders, but you kind yeah. of forget back in then, those days, they kind of weren't. They had a long barren spell where they weren't really up to much. Yeah, from 90... What was it? Something like... I think in the 80s they might have qualified um and then yeah up until 2002 you never heard from them and that's why like we would never follow them as kids right portugal is just never a good team yeah, it's almost and, like, like the I opposite know- of what i felt for england as a portsmouth fan you didn't care yeah. for portugal because there was just nothing to write home about yeah well like there's this stereotype of like portuguese people right it's like what do you call a portuguese person every four years a brazilian um <laughs> uh, and it's it's 100 true right like we would grab bristol board and make um like brazil signs for like usa 94 and 98 and stuff like that um but yeah it's, it's nice to actually have a team to cheer for um every couple of years and we'll have canada eventually too which will be nice so. yeah they might yeah. make 2022 and then they make 2026 as hosts so yeah well on top of that there's 48 teams in 2026 so oh. if we don't qualify for that it's pretty sad <laughs> yeah. um okay and uh mls kicked off its third season uh, chicago fire became the first expansion team to reach a final and they beat reigning and two times champions dc united 2-0 in the final Playing ISS, did you ever scroll down to the Americas and play as any Never. of the generic American teams? No. Never. Always played yeah. as European teams and stuff, yeah. And they weren't officially licensed, right? They would just be like Manchester yeah, Red. Yeah, made up teams. Um, yeah. It's the same Manchester Red, Manchester Blue. Yeah. Maybe we had Toronto. We had Toronto in those games, but they were always like Toronto Blue, I guess, because of the Maple Leafs and Blue Jays. Ah, uh, I got yeah. And the only existing team at that time would have been Yellow, the Toronto Lynx. Oh, okay. So... They didn't do their research. <laughs> no, clearly not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm pretty excited. This is the first time I can legit talk about Portsmouth and it actually has some bearing on the film we've talked about. So Portsmouth in 1998, uh, Terry Venables was manager during Euro 96 and he announced that he would be stepping down prior because the English FA refused to give him a new contract as they wanted to wait for results on the pitch. And he was like, screw you. I'm better than that. I'm leaving. Um, there were lots of rumours around at the time that it was actually because they weren't keen on his shady business dealings outside of football. So interestingly, <laughs> he... Was, go on. That also happened with, was it Don Revy? Yeah, well, he agreed to go and join Abu Dhabi whilst he was England manager. Okay. Um, well, no, United Emirates, sorry. He decided to go and manage them. Um, But yeah, so how does this tie to Portsmouth? Venables went on to manage the Australian national team after England and at the same time became chairman of Portsmouth and he purchased a 51% controlling stake in Portsmouth and he bought it for £1 because we were in debt and he agreed to take on all the debt. Um, Suspiciously, we made five signings in that close season and four of them were Australians 
Only one of them went on to be anywhere near successful. Uh, we narrowly avoided relegation on goal difference that season. And he then left the club in an absolutely dire financial situation and has sifted about £550,000 out of the club and left them on the brink of bankruptcy. Um, wow. The season's also famous for being the season where Man City dropped down to Division 2. Um, so they finished a point below us um, and went down. Uh, but yeah, and then that's kind of what led the guy who subsequently owned Portsmouth after that was a Silicon Valley millionaire, uh, Milan Mandaric, and he kind of took us to the Premier League and stuff. Uh, but yeah, Terry Venables, shady character for sure. Um, what was the nickname? Venables something something? Am I thinking of that wrong? Oh, I don't know that. I thought there was. Maybe not. I don't know. His middle name is... But yeah, anyway, so as a kid... 1998, I'm like 14 by that point. I'm like, this is amazing. We've got ex-England manager Terry Venables as our chairman, and our manager at the time was a guy called Terry Fennick, who played in defence during Italia 90. So I'm like, this is perfect. We've got like, we've got everything. We've got former England player and the England manager. We'll smash the league. We didn't, obviously. It all went terribly wrong. That part is there was no internet back then either to inform young Adam yeah, that exactly. <laughs> something's afoot. And I, my dad didn't clearly didn't say that's not how it works to me because I got too excited. Uh, so yeah, that is not how it worked out anyway. Okay, so before we do footy flicks, it's time for me to play Play Your Players Right. Uh, so you have oh. prepared it this time. So I have. I can have a run. I don't obviously don't know what you're gonna unveil. This was not easy. It was almost easier last season. Yeah, when just I can random quiz stuff. Quiz you on random things here. Yeah. So what I'm gonna pull from is all time appearances in the Euros. Oh um, okay. we know that Cristiano Ronaldo just broke that record, I believe. Actually he broke it a little while ago. He's at twenty three. But we're not gonna start with him because that would be too easy. Okay. So I'm going to go to my list here. I'm going to pick the keeper that he faced off against today, and that was Hugo Lloris. He has 14 appearances at the Euros. Okay. All right. Does fellow goalkeeper Schmeichel have, Peter Schmeichel have more or less? I'm going to say less. You're right. He has one less at 13. Oh, okay. I thought it was more than that, but okay. You're not seeing the reflection in my glasses, are you? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Someone from England this time. Wayne Rooney. More appearances or less appearances at the Euro? And what was Schmeichel's number 13? Schmeichel's at 13, yes. So Wayne Rooney would have played in three Euros. Group stages plus a quarterfinal, four times two is eight. I'm going to say less. I think he made like 11 or 12. Close. He made 10. Oh, okay. Yes, so you're at three now. Hmm. Jurgen Klinsmann, more or less appearances at the Euros? Than 10. So he played all the way through Euro 96. Maybe he was injured for part of it. So that's like seven games. Are we counting 
because Euro 96 was the first Euros where they were unified. Is this including <laughs> West Germany? Yeah. I can't answer that for you. Okay. I'm going to say just because Germany are more successful than England, he played more. You are right. Yeah. He played 13. Okay. All right. This gets tough now. This gets tough to try and beat you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jurgen Klinsmann was at 13. Xavi, Alonso, more or less? 13. And 13. Think about all those Spain appearances. Total domination in that 2008, 10, 12 swing. But I feel like he wasn't always playing every single game. He's one of those players that became more useful later. 13. But they got to the final like twice. So that's like 14 games there on their own. I'm going to say that's a trick and it was less. It is less. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got now? Four? Um, six, no? No. It was a five? Maybe five. Maybe okay. we'll, you can count when you do the editing. I'll give you five. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, oh, I'm man. the current leader. Oh, man. You might run the gamut here and then that's everyone it. else is screwed that comes on. We yeah. might have to reset it. <laughs> Okay, let me go to the bottom of the list here. The guy that I mentioned before, Nuno Gomez, did he have more or less appearances for Portugal than Xavi Alonso's 12? Less. You said less? Yeah. <sighs> Damn it. How many? <laughs> it was 14. Oh, okay. I was thinking he had like 10 or something. No, I was hoping by saying I'll scroll to the bottom of the list, it would have messed you up. <laughs> Okay. He has 14 appearances. All right. Wow. Quite surprising. He stayed on there for a while. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you are uh, six. Six. New leader. You doubled uh, our, our existing one by three, right? Yeah. Uh, so, footy flicks. There is next to nothing in this film that is not archive footage, except for the aforementioned at the very top of the show where we talked about... Um, the waiter doing his tricks at the beginning. <laughs> Basically, it. yeah. To it's coming home. There's nothing else. And, I, and as I said before, I don't think they necessarily did a good job sometimes at showing that footage well. And it's weird. They did things like there's the thing of uh, Stuart Pierce smashing out penalty and going absolutely crazy because he was like exercise exercising the demons of. Uh, World Cup 90 where he'd missed a penalty against Germany. He scores the one against Spain. And they're, like, they're, oh, yeah, in the, okay. they're in the pub and they're like, oh, look at Pierce, look at Pierce. It's like, okay, everyone knows. We all saw it. You don't have to keep... It's kind of like they just do a bad job of, of like highlighting the wrong bits. They don't necessarily describe football particularly well. I was fading in and out of the movie at that point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I don't think it's too hot. Are there any particular highlights for you? I mean, the, the England-Scotland matches. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Right? I know it's hyped up from you, from you guys, right? But yeah, watching that is always cool. And compared to the crap that we just got where they drew nil nil, and yeah, it's like <laughs> so much hype. Definitely better than that. Um, okay, so last thing, where do we rank this film? Bottom of the barrel for me. Yeah, easily. Yeah, easily behind the other I two. Totally agree. Um, 
I'd have a lot of nostalgia for this period. I like the football's amazing, but I'd rather just go and watch the highlights on YouTube than watch this film. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'd like what two thirds of this movie is archival footage. Probably, yeah. It's so it's such a weird. You remember how they made Power Rangers in the nineties? Like they bought Japanese yeah. footage, yeah, yeah, and then they put the teenagers put it around the it. Teenage, yeah. That's like, is that what they did with this movie? They're like, we've got this existing footage. We need to make a TV movie out of it. Let's just film these really crappy scenes. But it, no, not even because they, it looks like they filmed Neil Morrissey at actual matches, stadium, right? Or, well, it can't be at the actual matches because this got filmed in 98. They filmed him at some matches somewhere. Wow, like, so took, the effort, took the effort to take him to Wembley and stuff and walk up the steps yeah. and all that crap. But yeah, do you want to know the good news? There's another film made by the same writer. Called, a, so. called An Evening <laughs> with Gary Lineker that was about Italia 90 that came out before this. Uh, By another, sorry, the director or writer? Same writer. I think he's called Arthur Smith. Uh, somebody wrote this movie? Somebody wrote this movie. <laughs> somebody sat down and <laughs> wrote a plot for this movie. Yep. And then An Evening with Gary Lineker, I think it was originally written as a theatre play and then got made into a film. And then this got, yeah, stage play in 91 and then became a film oh. in 94. Just like um, One Night in Istanbul. Yeah, um, but uh, the difference with an even Gary Lennick has some genuine stars in it. Clive Owen is in it. Oh, really? The main character, so maybe it's good. Maybe it's good. Anyway. I doubt it. So we got to start wondering, too, on our master list where these movies fit in. This is in our- def- This is somewhere near United Passions. It's boring as hell. Is it worse than my English soccer adventure? It's down there, I think. Like that's like a three movie. I th- yeah, my English soccer adventure probably stuck with me more just for that song that gets that got stuck in my head. My big adventure, or whatever it's called. Yeah, my, uh, Misty's big you know, adventure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's a good song. <laughs> like that alone. Like that's in my iPod. That's on my uh, Spotify yeah. now. Like. Well, this stupid movie's got It's Coming Home stuck in my head. True. <laughs> like, I was hanging out with my daughter and I started like singing It's Coming Home and like I was going to explain it to her and I was like, nah, nah she's too she won't get it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But yeah, we've got, we've got to start wondering. So do you think we'll do a special at the end of the season then where we start ranking these movies? I think so. Against the master list? Yeah, I think we do. Rolling Maybe start. Never ending list. Yeah, start penciling in where they fit in that giant list. Yeah, I thought make those discussions a bit easier if we both have that. But yeah, this is yeah. somewhere in that bottom for sure. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Okay. That's going to do it then, I guess, for us. So, Mark, where can people find you on the internet? Find me at Mark83 on Twitter, on Instagram at 83football, and now also on Instagram, uh, Matchday Matinee. We have an account on there as well. Reach out. Cool. Follow us. Yeah, I'm going to try and do some Instagram live stuff, maybe. Um, I'm finally going to watch Ted Lasso, so maybe to test it, we'll do, my, we'll do my reactions to the first episode or something after I've watched it. <laughs> You'd watch the whole season, and then uh, you can recap me on things I might have forgotten. Okay. All right. Deal. Yeah. All right. Great um, And as for me, you can find me at Joypad Goalposts on Instagram, Twitter and the channel on YouTube where there is some stuff slowly going up. I started editing some videos the other day. By the time you listen to this, it might actually be up. Who knows? Season two? Yeah, like the second half of season two. Get it over. Yeah. Okay. Um, so from the terraces to the theater of dreams, we are Match Day Matinee. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.